You are listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. If you'd like to learn more about CBC, check out our website at cbcofsavannah.org. And now this week's sermon from the series, Choose This Day, from the book of Joshua. Father, we come as living stones this morning who are being built up as a spiritual house to offer up spiritual sacrifices to you. Um, Lord, we come because you are a cornerstone rejected by men, but it's precious in sight of God. Uh, and so, Lord, uh, as we come to your word, which is our rock also, which is true, I just, I just beg of you that you would use a broken man, um, a, a fool to make wise and weak to make strong, as you so often do, and just uh, acknowledge my just need and dependence for you uh, to make clear the text, to encourage your body, Lord Jesus, to build it up in a way that, that you are glorified and exalted and honored, and so I pray that would happen right now as we uh, jump back into Joshua, Lord. Uh, let us have ears to hear, and Lord, we know your spirit must do that, and so I pray that he would right now, for your name's sake, I pray, amen. Thanks. You guys have a seat. Go ahead and turn to Joshua, chapter 10. As we do, just a couple announcements um, that you guys, I know a lot of you have been praying and asking. Uh, really, we didn't know until this week, but as of this Thursday, um, our, our architects and all those guys met with the um, NPC downtown, and as of now, they are 99% sure that everything's a go, and so we're excited about that answer to prayer. A lot of details um, that apparently were miraculous that they fell into place, and so that's y'all praying, so I appreciate that, so we're excited about that. That's good news. We have some other exciting slash, it's exciting, but it's sad, but it's also exciting, is we have some kind of new faces on staff. As many of you know, some of the men on staff especially are disorganized a little bit, and so we have hired a full-time office manager. So Katie Wigley has started as of last week, one of our own. She's, she is managing us. So blame her if anything else falls through the cracks now because she's going to tell us what to do. So she's been a great addition. On the Saturn note, um, we have two ladies who have been just rock stars on our staff, have done a tremendous job, that are, that, are, that are transitioning off staff, not out of here, but off staff. Um, Sarah Dale, who many of you know have been around for a long time, she's done about everything at this church except for preach. Um, she is actually going to start working for one of the ministries we support called Covenant Care, which is an adoption agency. She's going to be a counselor for them. She is going to rock that as she has here. So she'll still see her around. She'll be involved in a lot of the ministries she's been in. She's just going to be doing that full-time now and these things part-time. Uh, so she, you can thank her. I think next week she's going to transition to that. And then Tracy Collins, who has been Jay's right-hand, left-hand, third-hand, fourth leg. She's been a lot, uh, done a great job with the kids in the nurseries, organizing, keeping them safe. She has been a tremendous asset and help here and organizationally. And so she, she is transitioning off. And so you can thank her too because she has kept our children safe and joyful and educated. And so, and so we're praying about that whole as even now that she's going to leave, it's going to be a big one. And so you can pray for Jay 
is what you can pray for. So he's, he's got some work to do. But so just a lot going on. We're excited. You'll still see those faces. So it's not, you know, like Peter moving to Connecticut or something. But just want to let you guys know what's going on a little bit. So um, we're back in Joshua chapter 10. Joshua 10. When I told people we were, we were going to Joshua as a book, some people were like, yeah, Jericho, woo, you know, the river and all these exciting things. But those who know the text a little bit and know the book, they had a little kind of a glint in their eye and say, yeah, what are you going to do with the second half of the book? Because if you've read ahead, you know it's not exactly the most exciting stuff. You don't have a Jericho. You don't have a river getting parted. There's no miracle. There's no walls. In fact, those people, what they were thinking, they wouldn't say it because they were scared to get, to get struck by lightning or something. But what they were saying is it's kind of boring. It's kind of boring. It's just lists and, and routines and repetitiveness and all this stuff. But see, here's the, here's the reality of where we're at. That's, that's most, most of life is routine. I don't think any of y'all were pitching game three of the World Series last night. All right. I mean, life is pretty routine. You get up, you go to work, take the kids to school, do the laundry, make the dinner, taking kids here, go do this, go to class. Life is made up of really many kind of normal things. And yes, sure, there's the Jerichos and there's the walls coming down and there's the big events that are periodic. But for the most part, it's pretty steady, much like this text. And that's okay. You need to understand that it's, you don't have to live from boom, 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 from Jericho to Jericho. Jesus spent 30 years in obscurity in a, in a carpenter's shed, just living life, right? Just as a worshiper making things with his hands. And so we, we, we always want, oh, the flashy, but life is lived in just the routine and the normal. And so this text today, and really the rest of the book, that's the way it is. Facts, lists, just the normal. And what I don't want is us to be bored with it. So today our choice is to choose this day, don't be bored don't be bored, right? Don't sleep on a text like this. And hopefully, if you fall asleep, one of the pops will happen right in the middle of your nap and it'll get you, <laughs> right? That, that's our way of keeping you guys awake, really. But I don't want you to board. I want you, I want you to appreciate the ho-humness, the, just the normality of the text. Because remember, our view of scripture is that it is, it's all equally inspired. It may not be equally inspiring, but it's certainly equally inspired. It's all truth because it's sourced in God. And there's seven things in this text. We're going to take a bigger chunk today. We're going to take the rest of 10 and all of 11 and 12. We're going to kind of do that the rest of the book because of the nature of the way the text is. But there's seven big picture lessons that are easy to get bored with. And I don't want us to. I don't want us to be bored because there's great lessons for life. There's great lessons from life. And so let's jump in. And remember where we were last week. Last week, we our choice was grace. God shows grace to his people. They made a covenant they should have, but he comes in and he, and he, and he uses that that mistake for good, and he answers their prayer, and he doesn't hold grudges, and he shows them and lavishes them with grace, and that's where we pick up in verse 29. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him passed on from Makedah to Libna and fought against Libna, and the Lord gave also its king into their hand of Israel, and he struck it with the edge of the sword and every person in it. He left none remaining in it. He did so to its king as he did son to the king of Jericho. Verse 31. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed from on from Libna to Lachish and laid siege of it and fought against it. And the Lord gave Lachish into the hand of Israel. And he captured it on the second day and struck it with the edge of the sword. And every person in it he had done as he'd done to Libna. And if you go on in verse 33 and in verse 36 and verse 38, that, that's how it reads. Then they did this, then they did this. And he summarizes it at the end, verse 41. And Joshua struck 
them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen as far as Gibeon. Joshua captured all these kings in the land of Israel at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought, the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel and Joshua returned all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. It's just very repetitive. They did this, they did this, they did this. And I realize now, you know, studying the commentaries, looking for sermons online, no one preaches these texts. They skip them. They kind of jump. This, one of my commentaries literally says for chapter 10 through 12, interlude. That's like a little paragraph. Interlude. I'm like, thanks, that's helpful. Interlude. I'm going to preach on interlude. And then they jump on. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, I get it. It's easy to say, okay, that, that's great. But then I noticed something. And I wonder if you did. Notice the repetition. It says, then they did this. Verse 29, then Joshua, verse 31. Then Joshua, verse 33. Then Horam, right? Verse 34. Then Joshua, verse 36. Then Joshua, then verse 38. Then Joshua. And at the end, verse 43, then Joshua. And there's this constant repetition. Then, 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 then. You're like, yes, that's what's putting me to sleep. Yeah, but don't miss that. that don't miss that consistency that's not flashy, that's just steady, step by step, doing the next thing, doing what they're called to do. First thing this morning, don't get bored with consistency. It's not, a, it's not flashy, I know. But don't get bored with it. Because here's, here's where, if I, this is where I'm at a lot of times. Our Christian walk, like this, right? It's like, woo, excited about this. Yeah, just came to the conference, woo. And then whoosh, crash. Yeah, excited, small group, woo. Oh, crash. Right? Going to church, yeah, excited Sunday, woo, crash. And we live this up and down, just inconsistent walk with Christ. We, I'm gonna read this book with my wife. Three chapters in, you're done. I'm gonna start praying for my kids every day. Four days in, we're done. Right? I'm gonna start doing this, I'm gonna start serving here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be consistent, I'm gonna do these things. I, or where I just don't feel like it today. I don't feel like doing this. I don't, f- don't underestimate this the value of consistency. There is something to be said about consistency. I wish that my life often was so boring because it was so consistent, that it was so vanilla, where I'm just day by day, nothing flashy, steady as I go, walking with Christ, pursuing Christ. And look, there's books and conferences and all sorts of videos that are gonna sell you a bill of goods. Like there's some quick fix to maturity, some quick fix to getting further in your walk with Jesus. There's no quick fix. Maturity comes just steady as you go, day by day, following Christ, day by day, pursuing Christ, day by day, longing for the pure milk of the word that by it, you may grow and respect your salvation. Just day by day, day by day. And I realize that that's not flashy. And, you, and you, if you're in the middle of that, you think, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just kind of, I haven't gone anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. But you, you think that because you're looking back one day or you think you're looking back one week. But do that day by day pursuing Christ, day by day loving Christ, day by day loving others. You do that over time, you're gonna look back and say, well, daggum. They've been like six cities, doom, then, 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 then. Because you don't see the growth because it's sometimes slow, but that's the way it rolls. Just like your kids. If you have kids, you know, you go visit grandma, aunts and uncles and haven't seen them in six months, what do they say? Look how big you've gotten. When I hear that, it brings a a tear to my eye. I'm thinking, my kids are growing, thank God. They're gonna be taller than me, right? (laughs) Please grow, grow. Well, what are you grow? But you don't see it if you're there every day. But after six months, after a year, that's when you see it because of consistency. 
And don't sleep on it. Don't undervalue it. Don't get bored with it. Just a daily pursuit. That's in our specs, our five specs of a disciple, our core core values. The P, a pursuit. Just a daily pursuit of the Lord Jesus. Daily pursuit of loving him, a daily pursuit of listening to him, right? And so don't be discouraged if you're just steady as you go. Steady as you go, right? And younger folks, y'all to find that older, older folk that's been doing it for 20 years, 30 years, and you ought to ask them questions. How did you guys do it? Tell me about it. Tell me what you were like when you were my age. Tell me what, what's got you at this point. You're just steady. Ask questions. Learn, right? Learn what it's like. Don't be bored with consistency. You don't overlook its significance. Chapter 11, first five verses. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this, i.e. the conquering of the southern kingdom, which Joshua did, he sent to Jobab, the king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Akshva, and to the kings, plural, who were in the northern hill country, and the Arabah south of Chimeroth, and in the lowland, and the Nephoth door on the west, to the Canaanites in the east, and the west, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, in the hill country, all the ites, Verse four, and they came out with all their troops, a great horde and number like the sand that is on the seashore with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Merom to fight with Israel. Now you read that and you're like, too much information. I'm like, Joshua, you're killing trees. You could have summarized for me. You could have just said, King Jabin and the Yankees. I could have cut out four verses, made my Bible lighter. It would have been great. But see, if he does that, you know what happens? The text loses its punch. Because the author is trying to show you the overwhelming nature of what's going on here. Yeah, they faced a couple kings before. They have never faced all these people at one time. A great horde, all of their soldiers, huge numbers, great technological advances. They got chariots, they got horses. This is something Israel has not seen, and the writer wants you to be impressed with it. Why? Because as dark, the darker it seems, the brighter God will shine. It's like my kids. We went camping a few weeks ago, got the little glow sticks for the kids, right? After a day or so, they're not so bright. So what do the kids do? Dad, come in the bathroom. They freak my neighbor out. They ask her into the bathroom, and they're like, the bathroom is dark. And so they, come on, come in the bathroom. This lady's like, whoa, no, I'm not going in the dark bathroom with the five-year-old, right? So I'm like, no, it's okay. So I go, but I'm go, they go in the bathroom when they want to show you how bright it is, and they flip it around and see this. Why? Because it's so dark, the light shines brighter. Because it's so dark, when God shows up, it seems that much greater. That's the heart of what's going on here. And so verse 6 The Lord delivers him. He tells Joshua, don't be afraid. We've seen that before. Why? Tomorrow, this time, I will give over all of them slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. Right? So seven through nine. So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly on them. Notice they surprised them. Just because God has promised something doesn't mean Joshua doesn't use his noggin. Okay, he's still a general, and he's going to take away their, their chariot advantage. He attacks them by the waters of Merom. It's a 4,000 elevation, foot elevation. There's water there. It takes away the tactical advantage of the chariots. They can't move there. All right, so now the chariots are not useful, and they attack them, and they smoke them. Just because God promises something, y'all, doesn't mean you don't do anything. It's not, again, we talk about this, but it's not let go and let God. Just because I know God wants me to preach the Bible doesn't mean I just open it up on, on Sunday morning like, okay, where am I going? The spirit will lead me, right? No, I prepare, right? I work hard. 
The whole thing with the building. I wrote letters. I made visits. I prayed, but I did these things. I trusted God, but I still was active in doing things. That's the way it works. Joshua is a good leader. He is planning as he is praying. And so he plans well, and they come upon them, and they attack them. And in verse 8, the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel, who struck them and chased them as far as Sidon and those places. They struck them until none were remaining. And verse 9, and, he, and Joshua did to them just as the Lord said. He hamstrung their horses and he burned their chariots with fire. Why does he emphasize that? All right, what hamstringing a horse was this. They would take the back tendon of the back leg, hind legs of the horse, and they would cut them. Yeah, that's nice, huh? It makes that sound too, just like that. Like when you do it. And the reason they would do that is now the horse is useless. The chariot is now useless, right? Now, why does God want them to do that? Because he doesn't want them thinking, ha, 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 now we have chariots. Now we're a real army. Now we can really win because we have chariots. They haven't needed them yet. So why do they need them now? And what God is trying to get across as he has through into this entire book is the only thing you need is me. He's not against horses. He's not against chariots. But he says, the only thing is, I don't want you boasting. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That is where I want you people. Not worrying about if your wheels are moving, right? I want you to know that I am enough. And the second thing I don't want you to get bored with this morning is don't get bored with sufficiency. It is real easy when you see a couple victories, chapter 10, it is real easy when you conquered a great army, chapter 11, to start thinking, I think I got this now. I think I'm good, All right? Some of you got a little money in the bank, pretty secure, you got your three to six month savings, got your retirement, got all these things, you feel pretty good. Good to plan, All right? You can trust in that. That could be gone, right, like that, gone, All right? I got my health. Me and my wife are doing good, being on date night every week. Kids are doing good, getting good grades. Let's coast. And once you start losing neediness and brokenness, you're in a bad way. It's so easy to sleep on sufficiency. It is so easy to trust in chariots and to trust in horses. I've been doing this for two years. I read the book on marriage. I taught the class on kids raising. Do not get bored with sufficiency, right? Don't get bored. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from, the psalmist says. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This is what God is constantly bringing us back to. I'm the one who did it. Unless the Lord builds the house, they who build labor in vain. He is the cornerstone. How many times in your life, I don't know about you, but when I find myself on my back or on my face, it's because I thought I was something I wasn't. And God was just reminding me, no, no. I'm the sufficient one. It's easy to sleep on, church. Don't sleep on it. Don't get bored with sufficiency. Don't get bored with consistency. We are needy. In verses 10 through 15, he just highlights that he, he burns this one city, Hazor, and its king, because he was kind of the source of this one big army, right? And then in verse 16, Make some interesting statements. So the Lord, so Joshua took all the land, the hill country of the Negev, and the land of Goshen, the lowland of Arabah, hill country of Israel and its lowland, from Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir, as far as Baal God, in the valley of Lebanon, before below Mount Hermon. And he captured all their kings and struck them and put them to death. Verse 18, notice it. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. 
underline that word long time and write in the margin of your Bible, seven years. Because that's how long it took. I know you read it in like, boom, right? We read it in like 60 seconds. That was seven years of time. Seven years. Let me tell you, that's grueling. And remember, most of these folks have been marching around the wilderness for 40 years. 47 years of camping. I did two days. I was ready to sleep in a bed, all right? 47 years of fighting, of camping, of walking around. That takes endurance. That takes fidelity over the long haul. That takes strength. That takes perseverance. It takes tenacity, right? Next thing, don't get bored with. Don't get bored with endurance. It's not flashy. But I'll tell you, more often than not, the things that God calls you to do take endurance. And, and it's not, again, doesn't get any newspaper, doesn't get any press. I mean, let's be honest. Most of us, unless you work at Fleet Feet, which half of y'all do, I know. <laughs> but unless you work at Fleet Feet, you probably cannot name one famous endurance runner ever. The most famous endurance runner. And there is no Mr. Marathon, just so you know. But you can name sprinters, Carl Lewis, everyone wants to see Usain Bolt. When the Olympics come back in a couple years, no one cares about the guy who wins the marathon. They don't care. They can't even pronounce his name. But at eight o'clock at night, we're gonna have the 100-yard dash where front and center, camera right up against the gold shoes. Why? Because it's flashy. Even back in kindergarten, nobody cares about the tug of war or the the three-legged waist, but everyone wants to win what? The 100-yard dash because you are the king of the court if you win that puppy, Right? Everyone loves the sprinter, but who's more impressive? 100 yards or 26.2 in under two hours? That's impressive. And that's, that's the nature of endurance. That is what God has called his people to, to run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's what writer Hebrews says. And there's something impressive about a man, about a woman who's been just walking with the Lord for 30 years. I'm telling you, 18-year-old, 22-year-old college student, and we're glad you're here. We're glad you're excited about the Lord. You're growing. But what really is impressive is not a college kid that goes to church. What's impressive is a 67-year-old who's been walking with Christ since he was 18. That's impressive, and he's still doing it, and he's still raising his hands and clapping. He's not grumpy, Right? He's riding a motorcycle. No, don't go ride a motorcycle. He's, but he's excited about what the Lord's doing. See, that's impressive. Finishing the race well. Anybody can sprint 100 yards. Not everyone can run the marathon. There's something special about seeing someone married for 38 years, I'm telling you. Something special about enduring in those latter years of your parents' life when you have to care for them three, four, five, six years as, as they may not be mentally there. There's something Impressive about enduring in that. There's something impressive about a mom who wakes up four times a night to change a diaper and feed a baby while her husband doesn't do anything but grunt. Or a single mom working two jobs just to put food on and enduring that. Something special. Something special about that Sunday school teacher who's there 48 times a year taking your kids and loving on them while you are in here. Something special about that. All right, about enduring. It's something special 
about that guy, that gal who supports that missionary for $30 a month, $40 a month, whatever it is, and does it over the long haul. Doesn't just do it for 18 months, but seven years later, they're still supporting. They're writing that check every month. And you know that that money's gonna be there because they're enduring it. There's something significant and valuable there, church, about praying for your kids consistently and praying for your pastors, praying for your president, about forgiving that spouse again, about bearing with that, that issue, about enduring criticism for your faith, enduring the shame. Isn't that what Christ did? He endured the shame of Hebrews 12. And so I think the encouragement is don't quit. If you're 18 years into this deal, don't quit. If you've been praying faithfully for that person, don't quit. God values endurance. And this is how he shapes us. You realize it's not easy, but this is how God shapes and molds his church into the image of Christ over time, slowly. He purposely does not let them conquer the land quickly. In fact, he tells them in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, he says, I will not drive them out from before you in one year. That would be great. It would be quick. It would be easy. It would be painless, right? But if I do that, the land becomes desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. He knows what's best for them. If God would tell you now what he's gonna be dealing with you in 15 years, it would be overwhelming for you. You'd be like, I'm just trying to deal with this and you want me to deal with that too. So little by little, God shapes us. This is the issue we're gonna work on now. And we'll deal with that 10 years from now. That's sanctification. It is a long process. But endurance is how we are shaped. Over time, over time, over time. When I think of endurance, one of the guys that comes to my mind is my, my ex-pastor in Dallas. His name was Bob Abeg. He took the job at the church I worshiped at uh, when he was right out of seminary, 1979, and he faithfully served that church for 30 years. That church never got to be 100 people until I had just left. Faithfully serving a church for not flashy, didn't write any books, had a lousy building, just faithfully for 30 years, loving those folks, buried many of them, did baptize, baptized many of them, did weddings for many of them. 30 years, no glory. No, no everyone knows his name just endured, 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 endured. See, that's what, I, that's what I picture. And his ministry touched my life, and so, so everything I do is touched by that guy. And he shaped me. See, that's endurance. It's for endurance that God has called us. Don't sleep on it. Don't undervalue it. Pursue it. Don't be bored with endurance. Don't be bored with it. Verse 19 says something very interesting right after Joshua 11. It says, there was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took, they took them all in battle. Nobody seeks to make peace with Israel except the Gibeonites. Isn't that fascinating? You would think they would say, yo, yo, everyone's getting beat. No one's winning. Maybe we should rethink this whole attack strategy. But they don't learn. It's like some of y'all, people think cats are so smart. Disagree, just sorry, disagree. I got a cat, I got a dog, I can compare. And I got this cat, if there is a lizard or a frog on the window, this cat will sit there for 40 minutes. For as if that one day she's gonna get through. 
One day she's going to get through the double pane glass and she will sit there. At least the dog just barks at it and walks away. That's intelligence. Okay? Stupidity is for hours on end. You're never going to get there. These people will keep attacking. You're never going to win. Why keep doing it? You want to know why? Verse 19. I mean, verse 20. It was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy but be destroyed just as the Lord commanded Moses. It's a hard verse. But what it's saying is God was hardening their hearts so that they wouldn't come. Why would he do that? Just like he did to Pharaoh. Because they had truth. They had 400 years of it. In fact, we've looked at it earlier that 400 years to turn from their immorality, 400 years to turn from their idolatry. They had the knowledge of God, just like Rahab did, just like Gibeon did. And what did they do? They rejected it. Just like Romans 1 says, that, that we have knowledge of God, we see his invisible attributes in creation, and instead, what do we do? We worship the creation rather than the creator, and what does God do? He gives us then over to what we want. He gives us the, the despicable passions, right? He gives us over to, to the lusts of our hearts because we reject what is known. They rejected what they knew to be true, and so God says, okay, I'm gonna give you what you want. I'm gonna harden your heart. And I think the, the don't get bored here is don't get bored with truth. If God is speaking, if God is putting his finger on an issue, if it keeps coming up, don't say, you know, I'll do that later. Teenager, I'll, you, know, I'll, you know, I'll follow Jesus when I get to be 40, when I get a job. And you think you will. I'll deal with that immorality later. It's not a big deal now. I'll deal with that issue. If truth continues to show itself in your life and you keep saying, no, 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 God, not now, not now, or I don't believe it, I don't care, whatever, God at one point will say, I will give you over to that. You want that? That's why the writer of the Hebrews says what? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts like the Israelites did so that they don't go in the land. Today, And so what has God been showing you, church? Has he been showing you something? Don't harden yourself. No, 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 no. Comes a point where God will say, fine, I'll give you what you want and you'll find out that you don't want it. Don't get bored with truth, with consistency, with endurance, with sufficiency. Next portion, verse 22. Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim, Anakim were giants, big people like Goliath. So the, the Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel. Only in Gaza and Gath and in Ashdod did some remain. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. All right, and Joshua gave it to an inheritance. So he takes the land and he takes and kicks out the Anakim. These are the very giants that 40 years earlier, everyone was scared to death of. In fact, this is the reason they didn't go in the land. The 12 spies go in, Caleb and Joshua say, we can do it. Everyone else says, no, 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 big people, run. 40 years later, now they go in and says, God cuts them down, right? And I'm not trying to get all cheesy and you know, God wants you to face your giants and blah, blah, blah. 
But there's something here that we can't be bored with. It's don't get bored with God's power. It's easy to read about all that God has done, but the thing that caused them the most fear 40 years earlier is nothing now. The thing that caused them to shake in their boots is nothing. So the question is this, what are you most afraid of? And if you're really honest, and I'm not talking about you know, the headless horseman or something silly. What, do you, what, what really causes you to be afraid? Trusting God with your kids? Your daughter's dating that guy? Your money? God's calling you to give off the top to him? I don't know. I've never done that before. Right? Going to talk to that neighbor and have him over to your house? I don't know. They're Georgia fans. We don't, you know. Right? right? Confronting your roommate because you know that's not a good deal? Owning up to a lie that you told maybe a long time ago? Maybe you're afraid of being alone. That you'll never be able to have kids, that you'll never get married. That, that my, my spouse may never, may never come to faith. What are you afraid of? Right? I don't, what are we going to do at retirement? Should we take that job? What do we do? See, our fears may be different, but the point is the adequacy of God is the same. And it's easy to read about the miracles and the Jerichos and, and forget this is the same Christ. This is the same God who is, this is nothing, a giant, what causes them to fear. Just because you cannot see the power of God does not mean it is not there. And that, that's the nature of us. We wanna see it. Show us, show us, show us. But just because you can't see it does not mean that God's power is not there. There's this great part in, in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress where, where Christian is wants to go to the palace beautiful, but in his way are two lions and they are chained. But, it, but Bunyan goes out of his way to say, but he could not see the chains, right? He knows they're chained and he has to walk down the middle and he knows they can't reach him, but he can't see the chains. And so he's scared because he can't see the chains. That's the way it is for us. But the chains are there. Ephesians 1 tells us that he, Jesus, is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. He, Jesus himself says, all authority has been given to me. We say we believe that when we face our fears, when we can't see the chains, that's when the rubber meets the road. Don't get bored with God's power. Don't be bored with it. Don't fall asleep on it, right? It is adequate. It is adequate. All right, chapter 12. If you're, not, if you're asleep right now, there's bound to be a pop. We've gone way too long without one, so stay on your toes. Verse, chapter 12, verse one. Now these are the kings of the land whom the people of Israel defeated and took possession of their land beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise, that's the east, from the valley of Arnon to Mount Hermon with all the Arabah eastward. And he's gonna list them all, all these kings. And, and if you study the text, what you'll see is this. Got a map here. These are all the guys. This is not a high-tech satellite picture. I'm just telling you, just so you know. But this is the idea. This is where the 12 tribes are gonna be. You see the little Sea of Galilee at the top, the big Dead Sea at the bottom, and in between there is the Jordan River. All right, that's the Jordan River. All right, if you remember chapter one, there was two and a half tribes that said that they wanted to stay on the east side, East Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. They're on the other side. Well, what you do if you study this text here and you see all these names, all these kings are kings that lived over there. And they were conquered years ago. This is back in Moses' day. This is before Joshua was in charge. This is way back in the good old days, right? So the question is, why does God bring that up again? I mean, that's past. We, wrote, we read about that in Deuteronomy and all that stuff. I think here's why. Because God knows our tendency 
out of sight, out of mind. And there's something really big about that Jordan River that you can forget. Oh yeah, some of our folks are over there. They're, they're one, we're one with them. We're one nation. God, God did, he did this side and he also did this side too. Remember, remember that? And the thing I don't want us to get bored with, and it's really easy because we talk about it a lot, is unity. See, God did that and he did that. And it's real easy in the church, y'all, let me just say, to start thinking and putting people in, in sub-Christian categories. Those are the Arminians over there. Those are the Charismatics. It's okay, they're a little weird, but they, we love them, right? Ah, oh, they're, they're the Anglicans. They're the, they're the high churchers. They're the teetotalers. They're the wine sippers. They're the, they'll smoke a cigar. They're the non-smoking cigars. They're the, the homeschoolers. They're the non-homeschoolers. And we can just get into all the subcategories of which ours is always over, right? And what this text highlights is this. No, no, no. I chose these folks and I chose you. And you were all losers when I chose you. Every one of you. And so wherever you're at now, if you were mine, you were a loser and I am the one who made you a winner. And that's the heart of it. And God is reminding them, this was what I did. My land, my promises, what I did, not you. Because unity matters. And look, the bigger we get and the more diverse we get, the more this needs to be heard. And I'm glad if you're here and you came from another church and you felt like this is where God has you. But please, please, please. Do not cause disunity in the body of Christ. Do not, all right? I got some great pastor friends in this town. I talk to them weekly. I pray for them all the time. I am not against them. Now, they're preaching, if they're preaching a false gospel, they're not a brother. It's a different story. But we do not wanna be a church that is arrogant and thinking we're better than so-and-so because the moment we cross that line into arrogance, God is opposed to the proud, period. Period. And we see the spirit no longer moving. If they're preaching the gospel, if we are preaching the gospel, we are one. Okay? Don't get bored with unity. Don't get bored. Last part. Chapter 12, verse 7, not 11 up there on the slide. And really, that was the east side. This is the west side. And really, he's gonna list all the kings on the west side. Verse seven, he says, these are the kings of the land who Joshua and the people of Israel defeated in the west. Verse, chapter nine, verse nine, the king of Jericho, one. The king of Ai, one, right? Which is beside Bethel. The king of Jerusalem, one. The king of Hebron, one. The king of Jarmuth, one. And he is going to name every single one and say one, 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 all the way to the end. And then he's gonna say 31 in all. And you're thinking, more trees killed, thicker Bible, why do I need all this information? He is going to detail individually everything God did. Jericho, Geder, Adullam, Megiddo, boom, 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 all the way down, right? Now, why would he do that? Because 400 years earlier, he promised he was gonna give that land and give every single one, and he is just highlighting what he has done, doom, doom, doom. And remember, at this time, when these people are facing it, Hazor is the biggest thing in their life. King of Afik is the biggest king in their life. The, the king of Goyim in Galilee, that's the biggest thing in their life. It's just like us. The next biggest thing is what? Going to school. I got a test tomorrow. I got a, a doctor's appointment next week. I got a, a job interview. That's the biggest thing in your life right now. The next thing here, that's the biggest thing in their life. And what he does is he just recounts for them the biggest thing in their lives at that point and God's victory. Boom, 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 
boom, one, 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 one. And, and I equate it to this. I love hearing my kids pray. Pray to meal. You're never, if you, you're never gonna be un, undisappointed when you have a kid pray to meal. He's probably not gonna pray for the food, just so you know. But he'll pray for everything else. Thank you for my shirt. Thank you that I got to go outside. Thank you that we went to the grocery store. Thank, and, and the tendency for adults is just, just kids, silly kids. They don't know how to pray. Let me teach you how to pray. And what we do, please don't. Because what we do is we'll teach them some Christianese lingo that we like to use. The blessings of the abundance of we beseech ye, Lord. Really? Who talks like that? You go to your buddy after you take, paid for your lunch. Thank you for beseeching me with your blessings, brother. I mean, no one talks like that. Right? And there's something to be learned from a kid who just thanks God for his shirt or for going out for pizza. Right? Because these are the blessings, these are the good things of God. And the last thing I want you to not be bored with this morning is don't be bored with God's goodness. See, see when, we, when we big picture it, thank you for your blessings, we miss what Calvin said was this. When we individualize God's goodness, we will value him more. The idea is when you start seeing the little things that are good in your life, you will start having a higher view of God. And so you ought to start itemizing them like a kid praying. Thank you for my shirt. Every good and perfect gift is from God the Father, right? A good book with a good dog next to you, not a cat, a good dog. That's good. A great cup of coffee on a cold morning, that is good. Driving by a, an empty cornfield and seeing some beautiful deer and their elegance, that's good, right? A brisk morning in the fall, that is good. Great music, beautiful music, that's good. A good meal, well-cooked. These are good things. We, 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 don't, we are so spiritual, oh, it's not Bible study. I have to be reading the Bible. No, these are good and perfect gifts from God our Father. A great conversation with your spouse, a good date. These are good things, and we ought to start itemizing in church and looking at it. Because when the bad things come, when you start looking at the good things, that helps. I mean, even, even Floyd, whatever her name was, from The Sound of Music gets this, right? These are a few of my favorite things. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite things and then I don't feel so bad, right? <laughs> That's the idea, though. It's not theologically necessarily there, but it's almost there when I'm in the middle of that struggle, the bee stings, what do I do? I look to the things that I do have that are good. And I'm reminded of God's goodness. And look, that's where we go. We get bored with it, don't we? How many good things do you have that you just are bored with? If you think about it. Don't get bored. Itemize God's goodness. Start doing it in your prayer journal. Just writing the good things down. And th thank you for my shirt. Got a good old flannel. Love wearing a flannel. Nothing like a flannel. L.L. Bean boots, man, those are good things. I don't have them on this morning, but don't get bored with God's goodness. Don't get bored with consistency, sufficiency, endurance, truth, power, unity, goodness. And remember, the, good, the, the most good of anything is Christ leaving heaven, becoming a man, and dying on a cross for your sins. That is the epitome of goodness. That's goodness. And don't get bored with that. Never get bored with that. Cherish that. 
And if you're here and you, you're not a Christian, don't harden yourself towards that goodness because at one point you keep saying no, no, no to God and God will say, I'll give you what you want. You don't want me. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden it. I beg of you, right? As we worship and there's just a few moments and sing, be thinking of these things. Be thinking of God's goodness. Be thinking of, of truth that God loves and that he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Be thinking of the endurance of Christ who, when he didn't feel like going to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's begging, Father, take this cup from me, be thankful that he, did, he took the cup of his wrath. And worship, like, like we started saying, in spirit and in truth. Let's worship his great name. Let's stand and let's worship. Father in heaven, you are good. The fact that your word says that there is none good but you. And so as we worship and just are reminded by uh, your word, uh, just of these simple lessons, Lord, let us not just get bored. Let us not get complacent. Um, this is not gonna go down in the annals of Bill's best sermon, I'm sure, but one that is, I think, appropriate and um, needed to just not get bored with the simple things that you have given us and that you have called us to. Uh, so whatever that looks like for your people this morning, Lord, I pray that that would, that would hit home and be appropriate and that they would live it out in truth. For Christ's name's sake, I pray. Amen. Well, announcements before you guys head out. Um, two things for next Sunday. Number one, set your clocks back. You get an extra hour of sleep. If you don't, if you forget that, you'll be worshiping at 8.15 with the 8.15 service, just so you know, so, which is fine. But if you like this service hour, make sure you set your clock back Saturday. Second thing is this. We're going to have a guest uh, speaker next week, which is not usual for us, but my, one of my profs from seminary was coming to the area. He was actually my preaching prof, the one that taught me to preach. So if you think I'm bad, then you shouldn't come next week. Um, so, but he is the one, really, I attribute finally breaking through this thick skull and teaching me what little I know about preaching. And so, and he is a tremendous preacher. He has a ministry called Reach International. He's from India, uh, has two PhDs, very sharp guy, but does most of his ministry overseas training pastors. And uh, he actually is the one that gave me a heart to train pastors overseas as well. So he, very influential in my life. He happens to be coming through the, and he, we support him as a church. We support Reach International. And so he's like, I'd love to visit y'all's church. I was like, if you're coming, you're preaching. So, um, and I don't know what he's gonna, he might not preach. He might just share about the ministry, but I'm hoping he'll at least speak a little bit. Just a sharp dude. You'll, I, I think you'll enjoy him. Um, Great guy, been in probably every country, I can't imagine, taught pastors all over the world and has a heart to see the gospel throughout the nation. So you'll have an opportunity to meet him and his wife. Uh, they'll probably put a table out in the, in the foyer. Um, it may, hey, he might take you on a trip. I don't know. I don't know what he'll do, but um, uh, just a good guy. So that's going next week. So excited about that. Let me read. I closed my Bible again. I did that first service. Great day. I had a passage. Let me, let me close the service with this. These are the David's words. So fitting for us. King David says this, O Lord, in your strength, the king rejoices. In your salvation, how greatly he exalts. You've given him his heart's desire. You have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.